Hello, welcome, Reinforced Running Podcast. My name is Rich Ryan. What's up? Today, we have the quarterly Q&A every single quarter. Not necessarily like on the quarter. It's not every three months. It's just like when there's like stuff to talk about. We do some listener Q&A. And today, it's a banger. We have some really good questions talking about hybrid racing. One specifically, like when to know when you should focus on your running versus your station times and how to manage the training for that. We talk about some nutrition for DecaFit and some supplementation for pre-race stacks. Then we talk about some rower and skier mechanics. There's another one in there that I forgot to mention that we definitely talked about. And we then we talk about uh, if you should try to lose weight while doing some hybrid training. Oh, we also talked about how long of a long run should you be doing and when you should do, be doing these long runs faster for high rocks preparation. So a lot of cool training stuff in this episode. And I just want to thank you guys for tuning into these. These, these actually do pretty well compared to some of the other episodes. So it's, it's really, uh, it's really nice for me to see that. <laughs> it's nice that you guys are getting some some good content out of this, and I, and I hope that it does help. So I appreciate you guys listening to these episodes. Uh, maybe we'll just start doing them more often, but right now quarterly seems to just be like right at a good spot for that. Also, wanted to remind you that you can get a free seven-day trial for the High Rocks and DecaFit training group. A lot of these principles that I'm going to talk about during in this episode are delivered directly to this group. So you get to kind of practice them on your own. It's laid out directly in there for you. If you have events coming up, we're able to cater the specific builds and tapers to you. And a lot of the general training is just to really kind of build your, your base strength. And the people in here are getting some nasty, nasty results. (laughs) They are working really hard and they are crushing. So take a look down that below rate review, subscribe. If you haven't yet, and again, just appreciate you. So here we go. Quarter of the Q&A. All right. Hello. Let's get into some of these questions. First question comes from Matt B. This is very specific around DecaFit and DecaFit training. And we're going to do a lot of DecaFit talk here as we're kind of like right in the thick of the season. We're about, I don't know, 14 weeks out from the World Championships. We have two more deck of fits coming up and you got to get like your deca strong and mile marks done in about a month it looks like so if you are focused on deca fit uh, this is going to kind of break down a lot of stuff so matt's question is where should i focus on speed or strength to improve my deca fit and he gave some examples of, of where he currently is he's at 14 minute for station time and 20 minutes for his 5k so matt's sitting right around a 34 minute deca fit which is really solid matt is a good athlete i know him a little bit so uh we're going to be able to get into the details here. Um, so ultimately, low-hanging fruit is that running is going to improve your your time the most. And you, just by the running by itself, say you take 30 seconds off, and that would just be an easy way to just kind of look at the station work and be like, okay, if I can take off, you know, three to three seconds per lap, you know, right away, that's 30 seconds, right? So so seeing how you can really improve just your running ability because it's mostly running. So that's for, for most people, that's going to be a really safe place to start. And if you want to get better and improve your overall deck of fit time, like you're going to have to look at that running piece and see really how much work you want to put in toward it. And then especially for someone in, in Matt's case, like 14 minutes for your deca zones is pretty solid, man, especially in a, a race itself where even if you're doing on deca strong in 14 minutes, it's like really good. So still is it looking at it, It's like, all right, like let's do, let's just see what we can do with the running part. And if nothing changes at all on the zone work, yeah, you can improve 30 seconds to a minute, maybe just by your improving your capacity to run, doing some different strength works like threshold works or some like some VO2 max intervals and just like seeing what it can do with the running by itself. But since we're kind of looking at this uh, from a grander picture, and since I know Matt a little bit more, I was able to get a little bit more information around where his current times in DecaFit are compared to his like general running time. So his 5K is about... 18 minutes. So his DecaFit 5K is about two minutes slower than that. And that's really not too bad of a spread. I think optimally you want it to be around 90 seconds, uh, 80, 80 to 100 seconds slower for your DecaFit 
5K from what you think your projected 5K would be if you were just like running it in a race. And that's more anecdotal than anything. Just from my own training and racing and some of the athletes who I talk to, it, it seems like 90 seconds is a good place to be. Like that's how much fatigue you can expect going through those 10 different stations. So from here, it goes from just like a regular running equation to more of like a compromised running thing. And it makes it a little bit more complicated and figuring out like where to spend your time. And in, in general, the most taxing stations are going to be like the row, the ski and the assault bike. These are what's really going to take the most out of you. And we'll throw the tank in there as well. The tank's like so late that it's important to train and prepare for just so you know what that feeling is going to be like. But in terms of like energy development, there's not a ton of work we can do in the tank if we're not just working if we're not working that into some of the actual workouts themselves so being able to develop some capacity to do work in these three stations the machine stations will help your overall efficiency will help your ability to handle the workload and should reduce the amount of fatigue that you're feeling coming out of those so what's probably happening here is on these longer, more challenging stations, you're you're probably getting a little bit too close to your anaerobic threshold here. And what and, and your your anaerobic system is very can be very specific. There's been a couple studies and with like swimmers where even just like the changing of their their stroke going from something like freestyle to breaststroke or butterfly changes where their anaerobic threshold like crosses. So being able to produce lactate when your body needs to start to use that when there's a lack of oxygen coming in is very specific to the movement. So even though if you have a very high level of running endurance, if you get on the rower and you kind of start cranking or just like doing what you think feels comfortable, your body might spike your the lactate production, which might put you a little bit more anaerobic a little bit earlier than what you want. And if you're not prepared for that byproduct from the anaerobic response, you might get off of these machines and just like have to slow down, have your, your body, cause your body needs to deal with this, the byproduct of kind of tipping over in the, the zones so that you uh, can kind of keep it moving. There's a couple of factors when it comes to just what makes us feel fatigued. And a lot of coaches, athletes th like think that the amount of blood uh, like, like blood lactate that is currently in your system is a, is a big contributor to that. So being able to train that to improve your tolerance and to reduce the amount of lactate that does get expelled into your system at a certain work rate is a really great place to start. It's not the only thing that's going to make you slow down, but it's definitely one of them. So if we are wanting to focus on kind of improving that uh, that work ability on these, you got to spend time on the rower and then the skier and even running and even, and definitely on the assault bike as well by doing threshold repeats. So what these repeats are is you kind of sit between your aerobic and your anaerobic threshold. So there's a point where when you work up to your aerobic threshold, where there's, you're really not using the, you're really not producing that much lactate. You're going to be producing a little bit of lactate at basically all times when you're exercising, but the level's really low. And it, so we can do a lot of work between two and four millimolars of lactate in our system. That's just kind of the measurement that they're using. And when you're in using your aerobic system, you're under that. So that's your easy runs, your marathon pace runs, your half marathon pace runs. And then that that next level is kind of like where your, your like threshold runs are, is where your or like cruise intervals. There's a couple different names for them uh, and like the semantics of what that what that all means, we don't really need to get into now, but basically what you need to know is being able to kind of sit in that space where you're not spiking your, you're, you're not spiking that lactate in your system when you're going like, say beyond like four millimoles or whatever it is. There's a point where once you get past your anaerobic threshold that it spikes exponentially. So you're going to have a gradual like rising of the lactate in your system to a certain point and then it just spikes and that's when you really start to have to kind of fight that off this would be like at the end of a 5k if you've done a full-on 400 ever or an 800 meter run you know that feeling of just like i don't think i can go any faster and really you can't you're just trying not to slow down at that point and that's because there's so much lactic byproduct in your system that you just can't get rid of it fast enough 
But if we spend time in this kind of middle zone between your aerobic and your anaerobic threshold, you can do a lot of work there. Generally, you can do about an hour's worth of work in this zone before it kind of spikes. I mean, that's again, it's just, it's very general. So some people it's going to be less, some people it's going to be more, but the, the idea is this is a place where you can really build your capacity to do work. And the more time you spend here, the more time you can tolerate that feeling of being between one and four and the faster you can go before you can, and the faster you'll go without tipping past that anaerobic threshold. Basically you're bumping your anaerobic threshold higher so that it doesn't tip over by spending time in this zone. So if you're doing that with your running, your rowing, your skiing, your assault bike, you might not get a lot faster, like pure speed faster, like running a 200 meter, but your endurance at a certain pace will allow you to come in and out of those stations without as much lactate in your system, right? So if you're spending time on the rower, on the skier, doing threshold work, you're just going to improve your endurance. So be able to do the same stuff. It will feel the same, but when you come out of it, you'll feel you won't be kind of spiked over or you won't get that like boiling over feeling and kind of like underwater coming off of these stations. So what these workouts are going to look like, it is kind of going to be a pace that you can hold for an hour, which is pretty obscure, especially if you're talking about like a ski or a row. Like if you're doing an hour's worth, like an hour time trial on the rower or the skier, you're a maniac you are a maniac. <laughs> but so like for you to even kind of understand where that is, it's going to be hard to do. If you want to do it, do it. Tag me. Let me know how it goes. I won't do it. I won't. Maybe I'll do it like down the road, but I'm not going to do it right now. But if you tag me, let me know how it goes. This will be good information for me to understand. But basically what you want to do, it's going to be a pace that feels sustainable, but with really short rest. So it could be anything from like a 90 second interval to really like 15 to 20 minutes. But for hybrid racing, I would suggest it being closer to the former. So something like between 90 seconds and five minutes of intervals is going to be a really good place to start. And you can do this up to try to amass 40 to 50 minutes. If you're, if you're, if your total amount of volume is really high, like 40 to 50 minutes at your threshold is really solid. You can start as low as 15 minutes, kind of being in that 15 to 25 to 30 is a really great place to kind of work up and build. So if you're training for, so again, for training for hybrid racing, I want it to be a little bit shorter, just to kind of move in and out of the stopping and going. If you're training for something longer, like a half marathon or like a 10 mile or something like that, like doing the longer, more rhythmic repeats would definitely help and have you really kind of sit in this pace. But I would like, I like the shorter ones for Decafit or even for high rocks for that matter. So, and after each repeat, I would probably do quarter, a quarter amount of the rest. So again, very short rest. So it'd be something like two minutes, at your threshold pace with 30 seconds rest. And, and the, the short rest is really what's going to regulate your pace. So you don't need to go faster to, to try to try to get out in front or like it does, like the speed doesn't matter, just like the effort does. So starting off kind of easy and letting it and, and seeing how you feel after three, four, five repeats and just kind of getting into that groove where it's something you can definitely hold, but you might not want to hold. But the rest is so short that if you go faster, you're going to need more rest. So if you kind of get to that tipping point where you're like, oh, my God, I need like a minute of rest here, you're going too fast. And you're not getting that benefit of the the like bumping up your anaerobic tolerance because you've gone over it. You, you specifically need to stay under it so that you can amass a lot of time there so you can really get used to that feeling and then help with the clearance of the lactate that does come in well at a specific work rate. And eventually you'll get faster at that specific pace. So you need to spend time at that pace. Like, Don't go faster on these. It's not better. You can kind of press it and see if you can hold it. Like, so say whatever uh, you're doing, uh, two minute intervals at, uh, we'll say 530 pace. And you're like, okay, let me see. And you're doing 10 of them, 10 by 10 by two minutes at 530 pace with 30 seconds recovery, we'll say. So if you want to push out a little bit, getting like 526s, 524s, really just seeing and seeing how you can recover after that. If you can stick and hit that workout entirely, you're probably already improving. But really, if you don't, if you go too hard on these, you're just going to ruin it. You're just going to ruin it. Don't do that. So another option here would be to kind of work into 
some DECA station work while working in that same time frame, and then adding in a little bit of that skill work and machine work around it. So say like you're doing 60 seconds of at threshold pace, then you're doing 60 seconds of rowing and then back to running, or you do six seconds of running box step overs and lunges, and then 60 seconds of running again, you give about 40 seconds rest, something like that. You can be a little bit creative with it. So you can become a little bit more efficient with your movements because that is another piece of this equation, right? It's like how efficient and economical can you be inside of the stations will help the, the amount of energy that you have when you're coming out of it. So the more practice you can get on the stations, really the better, as long as you can hold up to your, like physically hold up to, to the demands of these workouts. So again, I would spend time doing threshold work at all of these things, all of the stations. So between 50, 15 and say 35 minutes of total work at the high end. So, and like, yeah, 45 to 50, if you really are getting into it and say six to 10 by three minutes with 45 seconds of recovery is awesome. That could be on anything on the rower, on the skier, running on the assault bike, just do that workout and just maybe build and bump up the volume each week. You could do that. You can do that in perpetuity. Honestly, you could do that all season long. And at a certain point we can kind of shift gears, which we'll talk about next, but you can just kind of do that workout once, maybe twice a week even, and you'll get much improved endurance. These aren't flashy workouts. They're kind of a grind, but they will make you better at endurance stuff. So eventually you're actually gonna want to get faster on these machines and even on the running part of the part of things. So you can work on your mechanic mechanical speed and also working beyond your anaerobic threshold uh, as you're getting closer to the event, you can really kind of start turning the dials a little bit tighter uh, so that you can imp so that you can really improve just like your overall speed and just the, the, the way that it feels during those things. And what these would be called are like VO two max intervals. So these intervals are intentionally going to take you beyond your anaerobic threshold, which we've been working on raising through the threshold repeats. And this is actually going to spike that lactate so that you are going to have to deal with the feeling and help uh, get the byproduct out of your system. So working on that lactate clearance. So these intervals can be anywhere from one minute to five minute, I'd suggest somewhere in the middle of uh, five minute. That, that, that's more like you know, mile repeats at 5k pace, which is really taxing. And since we're not really running that long, it, running the shorter ones a little bit faster, probably better. So I would aim for two and a half to three and a half minute intervals at a pace that is faster than your 2k pace on a rower and skier or faster than your uh, 5k pace on a running. If you're going to be doing these on the assault bike, I would say you probably stay pretty close to what your 25 cal pace is on a deca fit. Maybe go a little bit faster than that because you're holding it for so much longer that that pace is probably where you're going to want to be. So think about it, something like 95% of your, your high end effort on these machines or the assault bike and rest equal time. So it'd be like four by two and a half minutes at a hard pace and two and a half minute rest. So you're going to need a lot of rest. So these are going to be really challenging. And for DecaFit in particular, I'd recommend doing these VO2 max intervals on the bike or even the tank, just because that's the point of the race where you're really going to kind of be beyond uh, your anaerobic threshold, just by the, the nature of the placement of these two playing of these two implements. And also just what that they, what they do to you during the race. Like you really will get that, or lactic takeover. Like that's what that feeling is on that bike or on that tank. It's just like this lactic massacre that's happening. Everything is like slow feeling and like you're underwater. So being able to improve the amount of lactate that you can produce during those uh, specific stations will only help you go a little bit faster. So that's what these, these intervals are, are supposed to do, right? Like you're helping you produce more lactate so that you can use that lactate as energy, because if we're getting into that anaerobic beyond that anaerobic threshold, being able to produce lactate at, lactate at a higher level will help you keep will help keep you going a little bit longer. So we're kind of 
And if you're not training that, you're not going to be able to improve the amount of life that you are producing. There is like, it depends on like your muscle fiber, fiber type at, to a certain extent, but you can train it as well. So people who are a little bit more fast twitch are going to be able to create more power and have more lactate naturally. Uh, endurance athletes, especially people who are kind of in this phase of their career, when we're in like DECA, high rocks, are, or they're getting into the endurance side of things because you can turn a certain muscle fiber type into slow twitch. It's not, not all of them, but just like one specific type of mu muscle fiber you can train to kind of convert either way. And as endurance athletes, we're, we're trying our best to convert it into slow twitch because that's ultimately what's going to be better for endurance training. So we need to train those fast twitch muscle fibers that we do currently have to really produce as much lactate as we can on the specific movements like the assault bike and the tank. So these workouts uh, will probably be miserable. <laughs> Just working on getting that lactate up and really pushing it hard. And I would also recommend doing this for running as well as we're getting closer to the event. So this is for all of those, these VO2 max intervals should be around you know, four to six weeks out from a, an event. And if you're going to work on the running for the, the lactate part, because you're going to be filled with uh, like a high level of lactate to get through that bike, and then you're going to start running. And that's why that run is so challenging. So we start going like, oh boy, like I am beat. So if we're doing these like oxygenless, oxygenless uh, intervals for running, we will be a little bit more prepared to take on the feeling of that assault post assault bike or post tank where we really are kind of struggling, like a respiration rates high. We're not able to kind of metabolize the energy the way we want to. So we're going to have to be used to running at in this uh, less than ideal state. So I would do really fast intervals. So again, almost the same exact thing as we're doing on the machines where it's four to five by two and a half to three and a half minutes. So 800s to 1200s or something like that at sub 5k pace with equal rest. Um, you can do this less. You can do fast 400s or fast miles. Like I said, if you're into being a miserable person, you could do the miles. But I would, again, I would suggest like being two and a half, three and a half minutes and just like spending time there when you're getting closer to the actual events. This type of training, I feel, is something that we do on accident a little bit too often as we're going a little bit too hard, too too soon. And without that appropriate amount of threshold work put into place, we're not going to get the entire benefit of it because our anaerobic threshold has not been bumped up high enough for it to really uh, improve our fitness to a great degree. If you just do four to six weeks of these VO2 max intervals, like you're going to get better for sure, but you're still limited because that anaerobic threshold is lower than where it could be without doing that huge chunk of threshold work before that. So I would always go threshold then into these VO2 max intervals as we get closer to the event. So like I said, I would only use those sparingly, uh, do those, do the threshold things first. And let's see. So I think that that kind of does it on this. <laughs> we, uh, it, it, it's really kind of a, a big nuanced kind of answer because it is so specific to Deca, DecaFit or Hyrox. So it doesn't necessarily need to be all station work and all like blending things back and forth. But as you get close to the events, you can blend it. You can blend in the threshold things as, as long as you want, but you can be creative to get that response that we want. But as long as you're just not doing all of, like you're just not doing straight up just decafit, decafit, decafit stuff over and over and over and over, or you're not just doing like just running stuff or or like you need to kind of blend both of the things to make sure that you're kind of creating this big total picture. So do all that stuff and you'll improve all across the board. So just to recap, I would do threshold work on running and on the machine work. I would do that for six to 16 weeks or something like that. And then four to six weeks before an event, move it into these VO2 max interval pieces just after your anaerobic threshold has been bumped and then take it beyond that. So you can really get that race specific feeling and work at a faster level. And also once you get done with these VO2 max intervals, you're going to raise the amount of your mechanical, your efficiency. You're just going to be a little bit stronger and like your perceived effort is going to be higher. So when you get or lower, so when you get into 
coming back into this base phase of threshold, you're going to be able to go a little bit faster. You're going to be a little bit stronger. So you're, you're going to be able to produce more output. So that's why it's important to kind of switch things back and forth on that. All right. Said, said. All right. So next question here is, where is it? Looking for my next question. Okay. I got this question twice. It's about what to eat before a decafit. Um, it really just like doesn't matter. <laughs> That's if if uh if you're just not an asshole about the stuff that you're eating, like you should be fine. Like I generally say just use it's very very simple and low end advice, but like just eat the same stuff that you would typically eat. Uh, if, if as long as like I said, like you're not eating like scrapple or for the for my people's back in in Pennsylvania or if you're not or it's like you're eating like pork roll, egg and cheese. We'll keep this thing very Northeast in terms of like their breakfast choices. But as long as you like, those aren't your typical breakfast, that's not your typical, typical breakfast. And like, you should be fine. And if that is your typical breakfast, like good for you, but you might want to, to sure that up a little bit and having this a little bit, um, a little bit more predictable in terms of like how you're going to be feeling. And that's the main thing with this, right? It's like, you want to keep it as predictable as possible. So ideally as you are, eating through training and through just like your race prep, you're going to have a good idea of what foods make you feel like, like how they make you feel in, in, in either direction. And the best way to do this is just by being consistent with your nutrition so that when things do get changed, you can point to that one thing and be like, Oh, I felt not great today because of the, the cheesesteak I had for, for lunch. It's like, great. I usually have a peanut butter jelly, but today I had a cheesesteak and my run was worse. It's like, if that's the only thing you change, okay, you, you'll know that. But if you have peanut butter jelly and you're like, all right, that was fine. And everything is, is the, everything is good. Then that would be a good option for you to eat before your race. And there's not necessarily like a perfect food or a perfect blend of macronutrients here. Generally you just want some sort of carbohydrates, but if you're eating carbohydrates throughout your week or even the day before, you're going to have plenty that it's going to get you through an event like a Decafit, which is only, you know, 30 to uh, 50 minutes long or so, you're going to have enough available uh, and stored glycogen that you'll be able to finish this race. So just like, don't be an asshole about it. <laughs> and that's like the main thing. So I like to have about three hours before the start of the event, something that's a little bit more carb heavy, maybe a little bit of protein, very low fats, typically the, the, the meal before any type of workout. They just take a little bit longer to metabolize and kind of take sit in your system a little bit further. So I would aim for something between 20 and 40 grams of carbohydrates and like, you know, 10 and 20 grams of protein. And the only reason protein is really helpful in this scenario is it might just help with recovery. The The more you can get protein in, uh, in terms of frequency, the better it's going to be for muscle protein synthesis. If like muscle, if muscle growth, isn't like your primary goal, it's just going to help kind of recover. Just having the uh, amino acids in your system, even before an event, it's still going to help with the recovery, uh, portion that that protein does for you. So that's really like, so for me, it's something like a banana or a go macro with a go macro bar or a uh, oatmeal with protein powder. That's it. And just like not, not too much. Another question that I had that was similar to the nutrition part was kind of like a pre-race stack, meaning what supplements are going to be appropriate before any type of race. So it's kind of the same answer here. Just do what you would typically do. Uh, for me, that means beta alanine and creatine, but those things are also stored in your system. Like if you're taking beta alanine and creatine consistently, those things uh, kind of store up like carbohydrates. Uh, I did a big breakdown about creatine in the previous Q&A, which is episode two something. So just go back and take a look and or just, I don't know, maybe just type in creatine to search for that type of stuff under reinforced running podcast. And you'll get an idea of like what the, the deal is with creatine. But ultimately, the deal with it is that it works and just like use it, but it stores in your system as opposed to having some sort of like acute reaction like caffeine, like caffeine, it comes and then it goes, right? There's a half-life to it. Once it's gone, it's gone. But with 
creatine and beta alanine, it's not this acute uh, supplement that will help improve your performance just because you took it 30 minutes before. If you took it, if you're taking it uh, enough uh, consistently leading into the event, it should have this origin. You're going to get the benefit anyway. So that is what that kind of looks like for the, the one part of this that I think would be interesting and is uh, appropriate to talk about is the, the caffeine. So the caffeine can really help improve your, just like your, your willingness to, to want to do work. Your it just like there's, there's been shown there's a ton of benefits for endurance athletes to take caffeine. It's like efficiency, like uh, your, your, like your, the amount of blood, like the blood flow improves your economy improves like this whole deal, like a whole bunch of stuff uh, is supposed to be good for caffeine, but caffeine is something that we can build a tolerance to. So it's important that it's not important, <laughs> but if you really want to get the biggest bang for your buck from caffeine is kind of peeling back before the race day and then having a little bit right into right before the event. So a lot of times like you want to have caffeine about 30 to 45 minutes before an event. And for most of us like who are ca uh, caffeine dependent, I'll lump myself into this because I love coffee. I love a little pour over deal. get some expensive beans being real snobby about it. That's, that's how I like to live. And that's how I live every day. But if that's how we live, if we're caffeine dependent, we want it like right away. And there can be some negative side effects to not getting it right away. Just like fogginess, headaches, and just just generally feeling like shit. And if we want to race well, it's better to not feel like shit. So I would still take the caffeine if I woke up right away. If I'm if I've been in a consistent pattern of drinking caffeine like first thing in the morning. So that might not get us the, the same amount of benefits that we want for the actual endurance event because we're taking it, you know, three to four to six to seven. Some of these deco events where you're starting in the afternoon or a high rocks event where you're starting in freaking in the evening sometimes, you're probably not going to get that same boost that you would get. And especially if you're if you're already caffeine dependent on it. So a good strategy if you want to really dial things in, if you want to use supplementations to supplementation to the max to get the most out of your effort, I'd try to back off. I would start at least two weeks out from an event and kind of cut that consumption down each day until you're off of it. So taking about a week of time to reduce the amount of caffeine you take. So for instance, I, I've done this before where I will, I, I, there's times where I'll drink like 16 to 20 ounces of coffee a day. I usually try to stop after like noon, just so it, the, I, it it's not the half-life of it isn't still in my system when I'm trying to sleep. Because even though if you can sleep with it, it still it still might have some interference with the mechanics of your sleep. So it's it's best just to kind of get it out of the way. But I went from 20 ounces to like 16 ounces to 12 ounces to 10 to eight until it just, I just didn't need it anymore. And I also used a coffee sub, uh, caffeine free coffee substitute. So that, I mean, that could be just straight up decaf or any of those other ones that you see, uh, around the internet, like the mud water. And there's some other, whatever that were, are going to be really helpful to help just the ritual of it, because that's, that's more of it, right? It's like sitting down at work, sipping coffee is nice. So just having some sort of ritual there to replace it. it could be decaf, could just be tea, whatever, but spending time to slowly cut down. I've done cold Turkey before and it sucks. <laughs> it is just a great way to be a miserable person. And I don't like that either. So cutting it down was much better than just kind of going cold Turkey on it. So it's been about two weeks of time, having it planned out before some big race to wean myself off and then as it gets closer to the event, I would take something like that's a little bit less in terms of volume with like coffee or, or like an energy drink, or just take like one of those, like I would take something closer to be like an one of those energy shots and take that 30 to 45 minutes before the race to really get those benefits up and uh, to kind of really raise your, your tolerance to the caffeine. I wouldn't do the, the, like a full 12 ounce coffee before 45 minutes before the race. Cause I just have to, I just have to go to the bathroom. <laughs> so just doing a little bit of coffee, even if it's a coffee, uh, caffeine pill, that would be a great way to maximize the way you do coffee. It's a great strategy for ultra, uh, ultra athletes as well. 
like so you can get that caffeine boost when you do need that throughout your 24 hour event or whatever you're doing so uh, that's just something to look at it's it's a it's a challenging it's a challenging thing to do to pull off caffeine but if you wanted to really maximize it you would do it right listen to this podcast figuring out ways to improve your performance that's a way to do it so you can just do it another piece of this pre-race stack that we that was mentioned was the beet root juice so things like the uh, beet elite solid name across the board but the there is other beetroot juice that you can just take so and what this is essentially doing it's it's improving uh, it's, it's increasing the nitric oxide that your body is releasing so it's increasing your blood flow it's a vasodilator a little bit too so it's going to help with just like the efficiency of your movement and your mechanics is kind of what we're looking to so there's been some split results when it comes to the findings of how it's going to improve your endurance. Sometimes it's found that it does really help. Sometimes it doesn't really find much at all. And so that's, so based on that, I I would recommend taking it. <laughs> There's no real reason not to. The reason I like to take this is because it just kind of helps get me into the mindset of having a hard effort coming. It's more like putting on racing flats versus your trainers. Like, okay, this is my beetroot juice that I take before my races or my hard workouts. It's time to like go, right? So I don't even know necessarily how much of the physical I'm feeling for it, but it just can kind of help dial things in mentally so that you're able to kind of hit it. So I would take this again, same type of time frame. It doesn't need to be a big, like a ton of volume again for the beetroot juice. Just it could be just a little bit, an hour before your race, uh, just to kind of get ready to rock on this thing. So like I said, it's, it's kind of mixed results on in, in terms of the studies for how well this stuff works. But like, if you think it works, it works. So I would, I would play around with it and see if you like it. Some people don't like the way they taste it. Like I've taken it before some really hard, long, like beast efforts. And like when it's like hot and my urine was an incredible color, an unbelievable color. It was like, neon orange like i'm trying to think if there's like 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 oklahoma state orange that's what color my urine was and i was like i might have done some irreparable damage on this on this beast course i'm not sure if this is if this is good for for me or anybody else but it once i drank some water it it stopped being oklahoma state orange urine color and i was good to go so just a a little bit of a uh, something to expect might happen to you as well. Question number three. So this comes from Matt Armstrong. He's 10 weeks out from a high rocks. He's asking how long should his run be and should he start to run faster? Uh, so from 10 weeks out in an event like high rocks, you're going to want to start putting in some muscular endurance work. So you'll need some time to really adapt to that kind of work. So starting now is a good place to start. If you're doing, if you start to like really ramp up the intensity for muscular endurance stuff too close to the event, the the fatigue is just too high. So being 10 to 12 weeks out is a great place, like eight to 12 actually would be a really good place that you can kind of put in that work and, and, and build a tolerance for it and recover, build yourself stronger so that you can just keep handling it. And then you're not going into the race, uh, a little bit overcooked because they it, the muscular endurance stuff is very damaging and can uh, just cause a create uh, an incredible amount of fatigue. So when I'm talking about muscular endurance work. I'm saying like this is where uh, you're going to want to to push the sled a lot, or if you're doing or doing a ton of lunges, or doing a lot of um, just like hybrid style work that's going to take you beyond what you, uh, is needed for the event. And that will just kind of break you down a little bit. So 10 weeks is a good place to start for that. But in terms of running, uh, I would say, yes, it is time to run a little bit longer and maybe a little bit faster. So I would actually split these into two pieces. So if you are building your long run, I would keep just a long run by itself just to kind of get the muscle, again, the muscular endurance pieces uh, the muscular endurance benefits and just the aerobic benefits as well. I'd say a good place for people to aim for. If you already are coming out of a base phase, if you like, if you're 10 weeks out, but you had been doing long runs for 12 weeks before that, which you should, you should do that. Everybody do that. Then I would say kind of build things up 
at, at the most, I would say 14 to 16 miles for a long run. If you're doing it on roads is a great place to be. Maybe 17 if you're used to getting into those long efforts. But ultimately, these can be really difficult to recover from as well. But luckily, being only 10 weeks out and this being kind of like the muscular endurance phase, it's kind of what we're looking for. If you still need to kind of build your your base strength up and you need to get bigger and stronger, a run that's like 15 to 17 miles is going to be really hard to bounce back from. And your lifts will probably suffer even if you're eating as much as you possibly can. Uh, just like the muscular damage can be a little bit too much. So I would say 15 to 17 miles is a great place to kind of aim for. Let's say 14 to 17 miles. If you're really in that two-hour time frame, time frame for a long run, I think is another good place to, to really look at. Like if that's a place where you can kind of build up and target and kind of circle, be like, okay, uh, two hours of a long run is a good place to be. You can split that as well. If you wanted to do like an hour and a half running 30 minutes on the, the bike or something like that, it's a good way to just kind of build that high end aerobic, uh, ability in terms of running faster. I would say maybe I would say maybe on this. So I would do uh, I found that tempo runs are really give a great benefit for Hyrox performance here. So that means like running at marathon to half marathon pace and just doing it for a long time. And, and uh, Hyrox is really more just like a war of attrition, like making sure that you don't physically break down. And that's basically what, what tempo runs do as well. You just kind of sit yourself at a pace and just go until and go at an easy pace until it feels hard. And then you just kind of stick with that and just feel how uncomfortable it is and just really tear your body down and just get ready for what that feeling is going to be like during an event. So I would kind of focus my speed work there. Another really great workout for high rocks prep is what I call high rocks tempos. So it's basically just a tempo run with station work in between. So you're not doing a ton of energy development work here. It's just easy. It's like tempo pace for whatever, 600 to we can say a mile and then coming back in and then doing a, uh, a sled push and then running that same distance and coming back in doing a sled pull, running that same distance and doing sled push again. And just going back and forth between these stations for a set amount of time between like 45 and like 90 minutes, really like something that you can do just really simulating that feeling that you're going to get toward the back end of a high rocks event is really important in marathon training. So I look at, I look at high rocks kind of like the marathon and decafit to like the 5k of road racing. If you're a runner and, or you've ever done a marathon, you're probably going to know what I'm, what I'm talking about here, that you need to be prepared for the physical feeling at the back end of a marathon. Most of us aren't necessarily, aren't going to touch anything close to our anaerobic threshold, which we talked about before. If you do, or even if you're in, but if you're over your aerobic threshold and you're kind of sitting in that, uh, uh, in, that in between where we were talking about for doing your cruise intervals, your, your threshold type intervals, you can't, you won't be able to do it for that long. Like you, it just won't, it won't work. You'll just run out of juice and you'll have to, and you'll crash and burn. So you're set below your aerobic threshold for the majority of uh, a marathon. And I think that that's true for a high rocks as well. There's definitely uh, a use case for, doing speed work to help improve your ability to run on those thousands. But mostly it's going to be about how well you're holding up later into the race itself. And the best way to do that is to kind of simulate what you're, what it's going to feel like. That's why you have to do a ton of miles when you're running a marathon. It's not necessarily like the physical benefit of your, the aerobic piece. It's just that it breaks your body down and you need to know what it feels like to run on broken down legs. So when it gets to that point where you just build up enough strength to handle the the feeling of having a broken broken down legs and your legs don't break down at mile 20 they break down at mile 24 and you can deal with it same thing at high rocks your body doesn't break down at after the burpee broad jumps it breaks down maybe after the lunges ideally it doesn't break down at all so we need to spend time getting to that area where we feel that kind of fatigue and that's where these longer tempo type runs, these longer uh, high rocks type of tempo runs are really going to get the most bang for your buck. You should do a lot of the energy development stuff like the threshold and the VO2 max intervals before this this area, uh, this this time frame, like the 10, 10 weeks out so that we can really focus on doing the uh, work that is going to kind of simulate that feeling. So 
that's what I really kind of look for in terms of like your speed work. So yes, make your runs a little bit longer. Yes, do some speed work, but make the speed work longer just because you want to chase the feeling of the of of the event as opposed to trying to make yourself faster or trying to make yourself stronger or trying to make yourself a better rower. You just want to make yourself a more tough, badass hybrid athlete who can just crank, who can just do work. So that's what that's where you're at for for this point. So hope that helps. I hope that helps. All right. Another question here, question number four. So this is tips to maximize output on the rower and skier. So I am not necessarily an authority in this space, I wouldn't think, but I spent a lot of time here. I spent a lot of, t- a lot of time thinking about it. So I'll tell you what I know about the, the rower and the skier. There's some really great uh, resources out there like Dark Horse Rowing. Um, skiing, not as much, not a ton of skiing resources out there, but there's a lot of good rowing resources out there because there's a lot of like rowing coaches and, and all that. So you can get some really good stuff from that, but I'm just going to tell you what I've found has helped for myself and the athletes that I coach. So the main thing it's about form, <laughs> it's no, no surprise here. If you want to imp- improve your output on either of these machines, you need to really spend some time thinking about your form on them on the runner on and when I'm going to talk about form here uh, for this specific topic, uh, we're not going to like break down all the nuts and bolts. I'm going to break down one or two specific pieces for uh, e- both of these when it comes to the maximizing the output. And that's the connection that you're feeling with the machine. So really, that's going to be the main part. Like you want to feel as though you are all, you and the machine are one. Like it's not you on a rower. It, it like the rower is complete when you are on it. And then you are then part of that piece of machinery just how the chain from the handles to the fan doesn't disconnect your body should also stay connected to it as well there'd be points where you can kind of loosen the connection but always be ready to bring it back onto it so for the rower the connection comes from your feet and your hands obviously that's where you're connected to the rower and your butt but the So a common mistake I see a lot of people doing and myself included for this is using their biceps as a way to kind of facilitate this connection. So bending their arms and using that to really kind of feel strong and as part of this machine. Yeah. So just think about like if the machine, if you were a part of a hard, a hard plastic piece on the machine, like where would you want to be fixed to the machine by and like, what's going to help you be most connected to that? The biceps are just kind of unnatural because we wanted to pull it, but really this shortens the levers that we will create through the power by shortening our arms. It kind of like shortens the amount of length that the chain can travel. And it's also like kind of burns out your arms. (laughs) Like in an event like a high rocks or a deca fit where uh, you need those things later, you want to make sure that you're, you're preserving that as much as possible. So kind of creating a connection through your lats and like your, your, by pulling your shoulders down away from your ears and kind of connect and like really kind of feeling strong in that area, like on, like behind your armpit and just by kind of squeezing things down, you can kind of get this connection by trying to like bend the, the rower handle, trying to bend it in half, seeing, and that should really kind of connect. You can get that same connection on a pull-up bar as well. If you grab it or, or even a barbell, if you grab it and kind of try to bend the thing, that'll, if you're going to try to bend it, you're going to need to use your lats and your lats are really the biggest muscle in like your entire body. So this is where you're going to get the best connection through that. So if you think about driving your heels through the pedals, that's the connection for your feet. So you make sure you making sure your heels are down through your entire a drive phase it can come off as you're doing the catch as your, as your body's coming back closer to the fan, but every push, you want to make sure those heels are connected all the way down through. So really making sure that your biceps are not where you're kind of creating that connection and also to make, sh- and making sure your heels are driving into the pedals to, to get that good connection for the rower. So that's going to be the main thing. Focusing on those two things on the rower, I think will really help the output. And if you can just remain connected, there's a bunch of little other nuanced pieces of rowing and ski, uh, rowing form that I don't really want to get into breaking down each part of that. But if you can just maintain connection and think about yourself as part of that machine, 
that's going to going to maximize your output once all those other pieces are in place. So this, and when it comes to skier, it's a bit more confusing and contradictory to what I just said about the rower uh, when it comes to like your arms. So when you're, you're, when you start to pull, the first thing you're going to have to do is create that connection through your biceps, right? But you also want to keep that lat connection the same way by pulling those ear, pulling your shoulders down away from your ears. So you are connected through your lats because your elbows and your biceps, again, if you get to a certain point and the, the fan is a little bit too high, like it, you're, you're more likely to give up resistance through your biceps than in your lats. So if your lats and biceps are on and dialed in, you're going to be much more connected than just through your biceps. And again, it's going to blow up your arms. If you're really you trying to use your arms to pull that thing down, it's much more a torso uh, piece. So the power comes from your hips and then it's your hips dropping down. Then oh, so such so like dropping, bending your knees, dropping your hips, then closing your hips through hip flexion and then finishing with your arms. So to start the motion, as you bend your knees and drop your butt, you have to have a strong connection in the upper body as well. And that's got to be through your lats. It's not pulling first to get the skier going. It's a dropping through your butt and just, you're just hanging on to, it's basically like hanging on to the handles on the skier. That's going to help you kind of get all the way through. So making sure you're connected there. And it's also pretty intuitive to think about getting your hands as high as possible to create a longer lever to create more power at the, what would be the catch for the ski. So this is when your arms are coming back up. It's really common to see people reaching as high as they possibly can to get that big lever. But when you start to reach as high as you can, you're losing that connection a little bit because you're going to have to rebend your elbow. You're going to have to re-engage in your lats. And it's going to cause a little bit more energy loss as you are trying to pull the thing down. So there is a saying in the skier that a bent arm is a strong arm. And that just needs to be a slight bend. You don't have to keep your arms at like 90 degrees the whole time. So to get a good lever, you just a slight bend in your arms, engage through your lats and driving it down and keep that engagement uh, alive as you are going back to the top, but not reaching your hands all the way back to the top because you're going to lose that connection a little bit. And as we get more fatigued and the more you have to fire those muscles in your lats and your biceps, you're just going to lose it completely. And it's just going to get slower and slower and slower. You're not really going to be sure when. So you actually kind of need to keep elbows bent <laughs> after not bending them at all on the rower. The skier is like, just like the opposite of the rower in a lot of, of cases where, um, the, the pieces are just going to just be flipped. So if you have a good I idea of how to be efficient on the rower, you can do it on the skier just by like changing or just by kind of flipping everything backwards, um, to make sure that you're getting the proper, proper form there. So the, that's really where I would spend my time creating connection with the machines, on the skier and on the rower. Again, I said a great resource is that dark horse rowing. Um, skier is still kind of new. So there's not a ton of great resources available on it. So just kind of figuring it out as we go. All right, last question. So what is the best diet to drop weight while training for Hyrox? Hmm, so... In general, I don't think there's a best a best diet, quote unquote, to drop weight at all. <laughs> there, uh, and I'm I'm nitpicking on the language here a little bit. Any kind of quote unquote diet that promises that you can have to like, cut weight or or do this, do that is going to be putting you in some sort of caloric deficit, no matter what. Whether that is a diet that you are not eating. <laughs> carbs or you're not eating gluten or you're not eating fats or whatever, whatever the thing is that, that this person did that promises is going to get you a, uh, an improvement in your body composition by losing fat. They're cutting out something that is a huge caloric source to you, or they're kind of telling you exactly what to eat when and how much. And generally that's going to be lower than what your uh, output is. Um, so really to me, the best way to drop weight is to just eat less than you are 
expending during energy. Generally, a good rule of thumb for this is to be 500 calories under your output. So for me, this is like, it, this might not be that pertinent for someone who is really training hard, hard. I would say 250 to 300 and just picking enough time to just be slightly under that would be really helpful. And if you're training your ass off for high reps, you probably need a, a quite a bit of food and you'll still be under your calories in general. So I wouldn't cut more than 250 calories per day. Uh, and I would try to make the cut over about like 16 or 20 weeks. And I wouldn't be in any type of cut any closer than four weeks out from uh, an event or you're going to put yourself in uh, a compromised state going into the event because you're going to need all of that energy that you need. And, you know, one of the best things about high rocks is that you don't necessarily need to be much smaller. I'd recommend everybody go through a high rocks training plan, maybe even for like a year and just try to get stronger and just put in the work and seeing what the training does for you to maximize your efforts before you kind of get into the body composition thing, the body composition thing should be your last ditch effort as everything else has been maximized. You want to make, and then you want to see, unless like your growth, unless like you have like a lot of weight to lose and, and there's like, you know, prescribed by like your doctor or it's just like uh, something like an issue that has been ongoing and you want to improve your body composition. I, I would still just crank up the training. <laughs> Even at first, I just wouldn't worry that much about it yet. And once it gets to the point where you're like, okay, I'm doing, I'm training as much as possible. I'm, I'm doing all the things like uh, my, my biceps are bent during the skier. They're not bent during the rower. I'm dialed in. I'm ready to rock. And then if you're at this point, you're like, but I still am carrying a little bit of extra body fat. And I would like to see what would happen if I could trim that. Then that's the place to do that. That's when I would kind of work into some sort of caloric deficit to make sure that you uh, have done all the other things and, and, you know, you could really perform well at a high level, even with a little bit more mass because you, you need mass to move mass. And there's a lot of mass to move in a high rocks event. So it really could, is more of an advantage <laughs> to a lot of people um, for this. Uh, on the other side of it, if you are working in kind of like a mass gaining phase and you want to cut out the, and you want to come out, cut out some of the excess body fat that you've gained during that, to try to maximize the performance. This is where, again, I would do the same thing. I would just pick, you know, 12, I would probably pick like 16 weeks out and just put yourself in a slight caloric deficit and seeing how that thing that gradually comes down over time. And, you know, four to six weeks out from the event, go back into a maintenance phase. And no matter if you're not even as ripped as you want it to be, just maintaining it and seeing how you perform and taking the long view for this is definitely the best way to approach it when it comes to, uh, you know, your fat loss and body composition for a, uh, a high rocks event. Um, yeah, I mean, that's not a great answer. I know it's not a great answer, but I wouldn't, I would make this the last ditch effort. And since this is such a new sport, you probably need to spend more time on the training than with the, uh, actual idea of dropping, fat to improve your performance. Uh, one thing that because there is so much training involved in high rocks and the demands are so high, you could probably put yourself in a massive deficit just by like, by like just training more. And that could also kind of hurt your performance and can kind of put into this poor cycle of overeating and then just putting yourself in a huge deficit and then just being starving and being like, all right, well, I'm starving now. So I need to eat more and just going way over like on the weekends or just having like these like these binging episodes so you're kind of not really in either spot. So I hope that helps. Basically I'm saying like, don't do it. <laughs> just train a little bit more and see how it goes. And that would be the main thing too. Like if, if that is where you wanted to do, I just probably would just kind of eat, eat the same and maybe just like do a little bit more work on like the bike or the rower or something like that. All right, cool. So I hope this all was helpful. Quarterly Q and a third quarter of 2022 in the books i would encourage all of you guys if you're training for uh, high rocks deca fit specific stuff to check out the group coaching program here all these all of the principles i just laid out they get worked directly into the the high rocks group training and, and these are things that i've been working on for a while now they're ever they're ever changing so you get the newest and most recent style of training in the group 
and you can really kind of get set on these progressions to improve. And the people in, in the group are absolute ass kickers. They go hard. The training is not easy. It is something that is really going to, uh, going to stretch you physically and mentally. And that's what you need to do well in these type of events. So it's all laid out all these, all of the principles that I've learned over my time coming from, uh, you know, going from last year where I was 67, 68 minutes in a, a high rocks event to, to now a, uh, 60 flat, right? Like I've, I've learned how to kind of go through the ups and downs of this and what's really going to work. And I'm going to continue to learn as well. And all those principles are going to be put directly into the training group for the hybrid uh, program. You can get a free seven day trial right now. If you check that link in the show notes or just head over to Instagram or reinforcement.com, it has all the stuff right there for you. So I hope to see you in there. I hope to see you at some events. I appreciate you guys checking this out and uh, make sure to rate, review, subscribe, that whole deal, all that deal. And that will wrap us up today. Thanks for listening. I appreciate you so much. Later.